Good morning. I have a neighbor named John. Now that neighbor is lost in his sins, dead in his trespasses, and he is on his way to hell, where he is going to face the fiery wrath of God forever. Frankly, I don't care. And if you thought about your neighborhood, just for a second, thought about your neighbor John, or your coworker Jane, and how they're dying, and they're headed to hell, I guarantee you, you don't care either. Now let me explain what I mean by that. If you look at my actions, if you look at how I talk to my neighbor, just a little bit of, hi, hello, how are you doing? And you think about the depth to which you talk to your coworkers. Do your actions say that you care about the fate of their eternal soul or is it just too difficult? Do you just not care? Sometimes it can seem we're a little too busy to care. Sometimes we're too busy at the church doing good stuff to care. Or we're too busy investing in our children to care about those people we see every day. But as we look at Scripture today, as we look in Acts, I'm going to tell you today there was a man who cared greatly. And that was Peter when he spoke at Pentecost. And I'm going to tell you how Peter was uniquely qualified by God to speak to that crowd that he spoke to today. But I'm also not going to let us off the hook because each one of us is uniquely qualified by God to speak to those people that God puts in front of us. So I have a neighbor, John. I want you to think for a second. Who is your neighbor? Who is someone in your life? Put a face to that. Put a name to that. Who is this person? It's the question we've been asking for months now. Who's your one? Who is that person that God created you and placed you to be uniquely qualified to speak to? Now, as we're continuing in the book of Acts, we look, we know, a lot of us know Paul's sermon on Pentecost, or Peter's sermon on Pentecost. We've heard it preached before. We've read through the book of Acts before. And we say, oh, that's a glorious evangelistic sermon. You know how Peter spoke to over 3,000 people and 3,000 were out of the church that day. And that is true. But that also, that narrow view allows us to remove ourselves from that situation. We say, well, I'll never speak to a giant crowd of people. I'll never have that outpouring of that Pentecostal power like Peter did that day. But the truth is, God has given us that same Holy Spirit in our salvation that Peter had that day. The same Jesus Christ that saved Peter, that he preached about that day, is the same Jesus that saved us. And the same way that Jesus answers their question, what shall we do, is the exact same way that we can speak to people today who need a Savior. In this sermon, to be honest, we are either Peter, someone who is uniquely placed to speak to those in front of them right in their life or we are the people in the crowd who are dying and need a savior now you think about before we read the passage let me just set the scene for you you know as mark described to us there were this festival in the town the festival of pentecost it's 50 days after passover 50 days since the crucifixion now for peter this has been a busy time he had seen 
Jesus arrested. He had denied Christ. He had seen Jesus crucified on the cross, dead and buried in a tomb, but then raised again. John tells us him and the disciples went fishing. And then they saw Jesus many times as he was resurrected. And then Jesus told them, wait, after he ascended. Wait, the power will come on you. And last week, Mark told us about that power that came on them that day, that that power of the Holy Spirit that came in. And then they've gone out in the streets, and they've been telling people about the mighty works of God, is what Luke tells us in Acts. And, of course, the people want to discount it, and they say, well, what's going on? I keep hearing these languages. They say, well, maybe, you know, it is a festival weekend. It's early in the morning. Maybe they're drunk. But then Peter stands up. Think of it from the other side of you. Let me... Let me set the scene from you from the people's point of view. You're in town for this big festival. Meaning if you're in Jerusalem for this festival, you are a religious Jew. You love the law. You love following the rituals, that, how you worship God. This was a, a harvest festival, so there's a lot of grain, a lot of bread. The city would have smelled like baking bread. You could have just smelled it throughout the city. It also would have smelled like just the crush of people. Thousands and thousands of people came to Jerusalem. So the city was crowded. You could hear just people everywhere you turn. You could feel the press of the crowd. And you're there. You're there to worship. And suddenly, off in the distance, you hear a group of people just coming through the streets. And you hear all these languages from all over the Roman Empire. In the distance, you hear your own language from your home country that you've traveled to far away. You hear somebody coming and speaking about God in your own language. And you're wondering, what's going on? The question is, what's going on? So please open your Bibles to the book of Acts, to chapter 2. hope you brought your Bibles this morning. And we'll be reading, in verse, starting in verse 14. I won't read the entire passage, but I want you to look at these, these words that we're reading. We'll begin in uh, Acts 2, verse 14. Please stand while I read God's Word. Acts 2, 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lift up his voice and address them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and the young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Verse 21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this for you 
yourselves are seeing and hearing. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can gather in your name, that we can come together and sing and pray and praise your name and hear scripture this morning. Thank you so much for the word that you have given us, that you have spoken to us directly into our hearts about who our Savior is and what he has done. Lord, I ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit and mighty power this morning as I speak your word. And Lord, just cut to the hearts of those that are hearing you today. And I just ask your blessing over this entire service. All this is asked in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we begin, Peter stands up. That's an important thing, meaning that wherever Peter was, he was just kind of lost in the crowd. The language used is Peter stood up and lifted up his voice and addressed them. This meant he lifted up his voice with authority. He lifted up his voice with power. Everyone would have turned and looked at Peter. And it's interesting, the way he addresses them is men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. As in everybody who's standing right here in front of me, let it be known to you give these words and give ear to my words. And if Peter does something interesting, he starts with a joke. You may not read it this way, but think about it. He's saying, it's only 9 a.m. Now, this was a, a big festival, lots of people in town. There was a lot of wine and a lot of bread. As in, later in the day, it was going to be a party. They were going to leave the temple area, and people were going to do what people do when they gather in large groups. He was kind of giving a wink and a nudge. Hey, guys, we're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. And so everybody, there would have been kind of a, you know, little small laughter through the crowd. Kind of, Peter's kind of breaking the tension. But then he interjects, but, speaking with authority, but. And he goes out, and he starts to begin, he begins to quote the book of Joel. Now, the book of Joel was a, is a, for most who may not know, is a minor prophet. For those of you who know me, know that I love the Old Testament, especially anytime you've had me in any sort of class. I will figure out any way I can, no matter what the subject matter is, to quote the Old Testament, just to talk through some of it. And I love the minor prophets. One, because we don't seem to read them enough. And two, because their, their words always apply to whatever's going on in the day we face. And Joel was no exception. Joel was an interesting one. We don't know when Joel was written. We don't know exactly to what people he spoke to. And so Joel had become just this perennial favorite minor prophet to read. So the crowd would have known exactly what Peter was talking about. And Joel has four kind of themes that run through it, very common to the, the minor prophets, but with a little added bit that Peter's going to fall on. It has this theme of the present judgment. That's always the, the focus of the minor prophecies. There's present judgment. There's a call for repentance. God is bringing judgment, but repent. But then Joel adds this promise that God would dwell among his people one day and even further pour out his spirit on them. And so Peter looks at the people and says, Today, this happened. 
What you see, what you hear, has happened. The spirit that God promised he would pour out has been poured out today. Have you not wondered why we can speak in your languages? Have you not wondered why we're uttering prophecies in his name? If you read Joel, it's right there. He answers our question of what's going on with explaining something they knew. They knew Joel. And he says, what's happening today is the Lord has poured out his spirit on you. And furthermore, that last part, and it'll come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that's also come to pass. He says, because this, the spirit of the Lord has been poured out, today is the day when all can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Now, if you look at this, you also, you know, may think, I love the Old Testament. Peter loved the Old Testament. The Jewish audience he's speaking to loved the Old Testament. Jesus loved the Old Testament. Conservative estimates, he quotes the Old Testament 45 times directly during his, in the Gospels we have recorded. It's over 100 times you just kind of look at indirect references and allusions. As Jesus taught the disciples, his common teaching was, here's this Old Testament passage, this is how, is it, it's, how about, it's about me. When Jesus spoke in the synagogue and he read from Isaiah that morning, he says, this has been fulfilled in your presence. Peter is just taking Jesus' sermon style and saying, you know this Old Testament passage we all know and love, it's here. It's here in a man. That man was Jesus. And he's also claiming that this pouring out, of the Old Test, uh, pouring out of the Spirit is completely different than anything they saw recorded in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it was the Spirit of the Lord was poured out on a prophet for a specific reason for a specific time, and it wouldn't even leave them at times. Peter's saying, no, 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 this is being poured out over all, all who believe. Peter's saying, we're not filled with wine, we're not drunk with wine, we're filled with the Spirit, we're drunk on the Spirit. There's a good chance that Paul the Apostle was in that crowd. He was a good young Jewish man and may have heard Peter making that phrase and then later in his own letters use that exact phrasing, be not drunk with wine but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And because of this overwhelming flood of the Holy Spirit, all that called upon the name of the Lord could be saved. And here's the question though, but what about you? Peter connected with this. He knew his audience. He knew what they knew. When your neighbor asks you, my neighbor John, whatever your neighbor's name is, when they, when, you, when they ask you, what's going on, do you say, oh, I'm too busy? Or do you tell them? Do you share with them, this is what's going on? When they see you leaving for church on Sunday morning, do you tell them where you're going? Or are you embarrassed? When you're at a restaurant and they see, someone sees you praying, do you try to hide it? Or do you ask the server, you know, is there something I can pray for you about? When you're in your workplace, difficult times have come upon your life, and you're praying just to try and get through your day, and someone says, hey, what's going on? Do you tell them? Because Peter, his evangelistic style was he just answered the question that they brought to him. He answered the people in front of him, their question that they were asking. They said, what's going on? And he says, okay, I'll tell you. The Holy Spirit has been poured out, and we had that same outpouring of the Holy Spirit on us as believers. And then next, Peter just doesn't say what's going on. He tells them why it's going on. If you look at verses 22 through 24, he addresses them again, men of Israel. 
hear these words. As in, those of you who are proud of your heritage as Jewish people, who love the scripture as something you have, men of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested you with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. As in, crowd, if you don't believe me, remember. Because many of them may have been the same crowd who on that day in Passover yelled, crucify him, crucify him, before Pilate. Peter's saying, remember. Remember when Jesus walked through the countryside and here in Jerusalem and did all the wonders and signs? He healed people that you knew. He may have healed a family member of yours. He spoke with authority when he preached. Do you remember Jesus? Do you remember when you gave Jesus up to the Romans to be crucified? Do you remember that? Do you remember when Jesus came back from the dead and you saw him? This is what he's asking them. This is Jesus. He's saying you need to remember that you crucified him, but you crucified him according to God's plan, according to God's foreknowledge, because something great was going to come out of it. And then he has what I like to call an inspired argument. I call it inspired because he was fully filled with the Holy Spirit, so he was literally inspired. But he appeals to David. Two times he quotes two psalms of David, Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. And it is, it is brilliant because he quotes Psalm 16, something they would have known, something they would have loved. David was a major hero among the Jews. You know, he was a founder of the Jewish kingdom. He was a mighty warrior. He was the best poet in the land. He was all these things. This was David. He was the king that, you know, followed after God's own heart. We had an entire series on David. That's how much we love him, too. And so he quotes David. This is like if you ask a Duke fan about basketball, you're arguing about who's the best player, and then you bring out a quote from Coach K. They're going to be like, well, okay, that's your guy. This is the same as him appealing to David. And in the first psalm he quotes, Psalm 16, he points out that David, verse uh, 27 says, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. As in you will not abandon whoever this Holy One is, the promised Messiah, to death. They will not see the consequences of death. And then Peter brings it around on him and he says, Hey, you all guys all know King David, right? Does everybody remember? He died. In fact, we can go visit his tomb. And he says, so this can't be about David because his body was in a tomb until it rotted. This can't be about David. Who is this about then? He says, you know, this was the same David that God promised. God promised that he would establish a throne for him forever. And he says, look around you. Who's ruling us today? Is there a Jewish king? No, it was the Romans. They were a vassal state underneath Roman rule. Now, here's the question. Was David wrong? Was David wrong when he wrote these words? These words that were inspired by the Holy Spirit in the Psalms. And Peter's answer is no. He says, men of Israel who are proud of knowing these things, you've missed the correct answer. The correct answer is Jesus. You know, the question is, who's both a descendant of David and the Lord God himself? 
You know, it's, it's like when I teach the kids sometimes in the morning, you know, I'm like, if you don't know the answer, there's always one answer that's acceptable at church. So say it with me. What's the answer to this question? Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> and that's what he did. He says, this you know. You know these words. You love these words. The answer is Jesus. And don't just trust me is what Peter says. He says, did you look around you? Look around. Do you see us? Do you see what's going on today? You've seen this and you've heard this. Use your senses. You're experiencing this. Jesus is the answer because Peter says he's only empowered because of Jesus. Now, if you think yourself, what about my neighbor, John? How would this matter to him? What's great about Peter's inspired argument is that all it was was getting someone to tell him their story. This was the shared story. That's why he called them men of Israel. It was the shared story that Peter had with this group. My neighbor John, I need to find out his shared story. Hey, what's going on? You know, he says, ask me what's going on. I say, well, what's going on with you and your family? How can I just pray for you? Hey, I, I'm, you know, I'm a part of this group. We meet on Sunday morning. Would you like to go and experience this with me? Let me tell you what it's you know, done for me and my family. Let me tell you how Heather and I have been blessed here. Let me tell you about the friendships that we've made. It's sharing that story. But when he shared that story, I love his ultimate end. His ultimate end of, my story is shaped so much by Christ that I can't help but talk about it. In a few weeks, Martin is actually going to preach on that, I assume. We're going to Acts when John and Peter are in front of the Sanhedrin and they say, you can't preach about Jesus. And he's like, I can't not preach about Jesus. That was so much Peter's story. Remember, this is the guy that denied Christ three times, was just a fisherman from the sticks. And his story is now this Jesus. This Jesus changed everything. And when we talk to our neighbor, our one, we need to find out their story and share with them our story. How has our story been shaped so much by Jesus? And then next, he doesn't just leave it there. He says, first, let me explain what's going on. Let me tell you why this is going on. And then now he's going to answer the question, well, what now? I don't know how many of you are salesmen in this room. I've had quite a few jobs over the course of my life. I've been a salesman several times. The key to being a good salesman is closing. If you just tell somebody about a product and you don't close the deal, you haven't been a good salesman. It's like when you go buy a car, they tell you about the car, they tell you all the features, and then they say, what can I do today to get you in this car? Or would you like to go to the finance office and we can speak to my manager? When I was in college, I actually worked at Lifeway, a Christian bookstore, and my specialty was the Bible department. And I've been trained in many ways to you know, look at all the different translations and the different covers and, you know, look at the gold binding and, and you know, ask them what they were going to be using the Bible for to match the person up with the Bible that they were looking to buy. And what I found was the greatest way to close that sale was, hey, would you like us to put your name on the front? We can, we can gild it and press it on there and your name will be on the front of this Bible. And you know what? How about this? We'll go up to the front, the register. I'll get them to ring you up, ring that that name on the front up, and I'll go to the back and do it while you keep shopping. I was the sales leader for quite a while. <laughs> but this is, 
You know, we, we sometimes have a bad view of, oh, you don't want to sell Jesus. But even Paul says, I was persuading you in the ways of Christ. We want people to come to Jesus. We need to close the deal. And I love the fact that it wasn't Peter's own eloquence that prompted this question. It was the Holy Spirit working. The people looked up, and they heard this. They were cut to the heart. That is an amazing phrase. Those of you who are believers, remember back to your salvation. Remember back to that day when you heard the word preached, and you were cut to the heart. That conviction of the Holy Spirit that day. Jesus even promised this in John 16 when he was talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, when he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning its sin and unrighteousness. Jesus had told Peter this was going to happen. And I love the fact they didn't just look at Peter. They didn't like wait till afterward. They, they, they went to any of the apostles that they saw that day. And they said, what shall we do? They were desperate. That language is, they knew they were dying. They needed something needed to change. Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter's answer is so simple, but so elegant and so deep. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's so amazing, so rich. This is Peter using the command that Jesus had given to them. If we look back at Matthew, the Great Commission, you know, go and baptize them in my name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them the things I've taught you. This is what he's doing here. Repent. Turn away. You know, you were the ones who put Jesus to death by your sin. And to be honest, crowd, to be honest, Rich Crest, our sin also put Jesus on that cross. And so we also must repent, must turn away from that rebellion against God. Be baptized. Being baptized was this public profession saying, I now am one of God's people in Christ. I'm so glad when we do the baptism. I'm glad we show the video today. It's such an amazing thing to see publicly because it reminds you of the joy of your own salvation and that we are together in this. In the name of Jesus, Jesus was the object of their faith. There wasn't their faith wasn't in their religious rituals anymore or just being born Jewish or just being, for those of us, being raised in church isn't what saves you. The object of their faith was the person and works of Jesus Christ. For forgiveness of sin, because that is what was keeping them separated from God. Their sins, their real, very real sins. And so in this was a promise that that relationship with God could be restored. They could actually come into the presence of God again because of their salvation. And in addition, this is God's lavishness, they would receive fully that gift of the Holy Spirit. This wasn't just for the apostles that day. This was for every believer in Christ to be filled with that same Holy Spirit. It's a down payment from God, as, as Paul tells us. It brings us empowerment so that we too can preach the gospel to those around us. It gives us comfort. It is the one who comes alongside us, the paraclete, and comforts us as we go through this life. And third, it sanctifies us as we go through the rest of our life. There's a process as we become more Christ-like. We put on the mind of Christ as we go through the rest of this life. And as he tells them this, he ends it with, for this promise is for, is for you 
and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone. Guess what? That's us. We're the ones who are the children, the descendants. We're the ones who are far off. Peter promised that day that our salvation comes this same way. Our salvation holds that same power for all those things he said in Christ. We're the ones who are far away, but we're the ones who now must speak to those who are also far away. Think about your neighbor, John, your coworker, Jane, whoever that was, your one that came to your mind. They're also included in that last verse. They're also the ones who are far off from God. In their sins and trespasses, in their rebellion against God, they are far away from a holy God. But you, you that God has uniquely put in their life, are the ones who can share, share this with them. As we begin to close, I want you to think about your person. Your one. Who's your one? How can you show them that you care? How can you cultivate an attitude of caring? First in your life, prayer. That's what the disciples were doing when the Holy Spirit came. They were praying. Because both in your life and in your neighbor's life, this will have power. Two, you just need to appreciate the power of the gospel in your own life. Appreciate your own salvation. Think daily what you have received, that overflowing of the Holy Spirit needs to flow outward. And three, today, if you do not know this Jesus that I've spoken out today, spoken about today, that is the first step. Come in that faith in Christ is the first step on this. I've read that there are two things in life that are eternal, that have a guarantee to have eternal value, scripture and people. And so this morning, when you think, Who's my neighbor? Who's my one? We need to invest in those two things. Today is a call to action for those of us. Identify your one. Identify how God has uniquely qualified us to speak to that one. And don't just leave it there. Go. Speak to them. And two, if you do not know Christ, this is the day to come. I'll be here. Speak to Pastor Mark, Rodney, any others. I beg today, this is the day to come.